Hello, Pod Posse. It's me, Robin Taylor, and this is an episode of Thinking About Writing, the podcast which aims to explore and demystify some of the terminology and techniques involved in script writing for people who are writing or thinking about writing for TV, film, radio, or stage. <sighs> hey, does that speedy introduction make you think about the importance of pacing? Because that's what this episode is all about. Pacing. Today we'll be looking at the impact pacing has on a script, how to build and maintain momentum, plus we'll examine the classic pacing tool of a ticking clock. So now that the clock is ticking, let's initiate a sensible warp speed and carefully zoom forwards into some thinking about writing. Thinking about writing. Predominantly pacing. Hi, I'm Robin Taylor, comedy writer and script editor, unextraordinaire, and I've done most of this introduction already, so that saves me a job. But yes, this here podcast is designed to offer some things to think about for people writing for screens, big and small, stage and audio, as well as offering some background noise for those of you currently in the bath examining your prune like fingers. Hello to anyone wet and naked. So, pacing is a magical thing. It can make a three-hour movie whiz by in no time, or make something that lasts 15 minutes feel like a two-week holiday in Luton Airport with Eamon Holmes. And of course, these feelings may just be because something is interesting and holds your attention, or not. But the pace which is being generated can also be the determining factor. Now, it's noticeable that pacing in modern media is significantly faster than it used to be. If you watch an old film, something black and white, where everybody talks like this, the pacing can almost feel glacial in comparison to the contemporary norm. And there are practical explanations for this in the way media is now recorded and edited, as well as how early film and television was naturally more influenced by conventions of theatre, which again had a slower pace due to its limitations. Modern scripts are evidently more inclined towards fast pacing, and we can argue whether that's a cause or result of lower attention spans amongst audiences, but there is an evident general desire for rapid turnovers of action and incident these days, as they can make a script feel exciting. Though this equally leads to criticism from filmmaking mavens getting riled by movies they compare to theme park rides, which, you know, is kind of fair. And indeed, this need for speed isn't a universal trend, and we'll have a look at the idea of slower pacing as we progress. What is important for new writers to recognise is that pacing isn't entirely about speed. A longer scene can still have a strong pace if things are happening within it, while short, choppy scenes may be rapid, but if nothing of significance is actually changing or occurring within them, it's a false illusion of pace. Fundamentally, scene duration should really be dictated by its content and intention, but this can be a tricky thing to keep a grasp of, and there should also be allowances for maintaining a natural feel where not everything said is a plot point rushing the narrative forwards. Yet, being a bit too natural can be a part of the problem, if the writing feels too aimless and rambling. One way to begin to solve this is through a powerful writing mantra. Thinking about coming in late and leaving early. 
Coming in late and leaving early isn't just good advice for an introvert at a house party. It's a useful principle for writers to always keep in mind. If writing were simply replicating human interactions, the understandable instinct would be to think that every scene should basically begin with two people saying hello and end with them saying goodbye. But scripts don't simply reproduce reality, they give it dramatic flair. Spending too long setting up and showing the audience moments which are essentially unnecessary can slow the overall pace. We can join a conversation halfway through if the mood, subject and participants are evident in what is being said. We can skip past arrivals and departures without wondering how that person got there or where they might go next. It's not a case of lopping off the start and end of every scene. I mean, it might work, but it's a bit of a gamble. But rather, evaluating when the scene needs to begin and end. This can be determined by how much context is required. Though, as we think about in the episode Thinking About Exposition, an instinct to spend too much time establishing can slow things down. There can be quicker ways of creating understanding of a situation by having confidence in the audience's ability to interpret or infer. Another influencing factor may be considering what is important in the scene, what does the audience need to take from it, and by gearing the beginning more towards that, it keeps the purpose of the moment focused and well-paced. If the focal point of a scene is a confrontational argument between two characters, how much time is necessary before that altercation? A bit of evident hesitation may show a reluctance from a character to have a confrontation, but several pages of chatter doesn't necessarily add much. It just stops us getting to the meat of the moment or meat substitute for our vegan listeners. The tofu of the incident, if you will. The same approach applies to the end of the scene. When the vital information or incident has occurred, how much more time needs to be spent beyond that? Is it simply dragging on when it should have ended already, and consequently slows everything down? And indeed, another reason for why a scene is left is momentum. You can think of those potentially frustrating moments in your soap operas where a character orders a drink then quickly departs without finishing it. That's because if Brenda, or whoever, has just found out her fiancé has been cheating on her with her mother's optometrist and wants furious vengeance, she needs to storm off. If she says, I'll make him bleed in regret the day he got bar focals, let me just finish my cuppa first. It risks diffusing the tension and momentum which has just been generated. Again, it's not necessarily a naturalistic depiction, but it keeps up the pace and the sense of how one scene evidently plays into another, even if the action moves away to a different storyline in the following scene. And the necessity of juggling several storylines in a soap half-hour means the pacing needs to be tight and time can't be wasted. In fact, the come-in-late-and-leave-early principle is actually a useful template for thinking about the scene overall, not just the beginning and ending of it. If the writer can determine what can be removed from the top and tail of the scene, they may also see other elements within the scene which are also superfluous and dampen the pace. Conversations perhaps go on longer than they need to, characters might chip in when they don't really need to do so, or possibly don't even need to be in the scene. And in fact, the concept doesn't just apply to individual scenes, but the overall story. When does the audience need to enter the events of the story? What has occurred prior to their arrival? 
Which leads us to a popular method of generating paste from the very beginning. Thinking about thrusting the audience into the action. Much like we might imagine a scene beginning with two people saying hello, an instinctive approach to beginning a script might be to slowly ease the audience in. And while that can be entirely valid, the opposite approach is to say, sod that, let's just chuck him into events already afoot. A bank robbery in progress, the midst of a blazing row, a dance battle just about to turn nasty. It's essentially about opening with an event which suggests a pre-existing world and a story underway. There are a few reasons why this approach might be useful. First off, it creates an impression. Much as Eddie Izzard joked that supermarkets put all their fresh produce at the entrance so customers immediately think, this is a fresh shop, everything here is fresh, opening action will make an audience think, this is an action-packed script, everything here is action. Of course, it's then a matter of making sure that this isn't the only moment of action in the whole thing, so the audience don't feel they got duped. Joining events in motion can also tackle the issue of how to introduce characters in a compelling way. We still get to meet them for the first time, but we see how they respond to events, hopefully in a characterful way which conveys their personality. Think of it this way. A script could start with a firefighter coming to the station at the start of their workday, greeting their colleagues. Maybe it's their first day, maybe they're a long-standing member of the team. Then the call comes in for a fire and they head off to deal with it. Or, we skip all of that and open instead amidst the fire and see how that character responds to it. The writing can still suggest first-day jitters or the confidence or complacency of being a veteran, but it would do so in the literal heat of the moment. We can also see how the character deals with their colleagues in tense scenarios, and from the very first moment the subject of the script, i.e. firefighters, is viscerally apparent what with them fighting a fire and everything. Of course, the handling of this is important, and it's necessary to ensure the audience aren't thrust in too far to the proceedings. If the significance of what's being shown isn't apparent, if conversations are about things we have no awareness of yet and are too in-depth to follow, it could be a disorientating experience. It's a case of balancing intrigue and understanding. Equally, if it's just action for action's sake, and it's not backed up by a character, the audience only gets spectacle rather than engagement. It's like, oh no, that guy killed that guy. Who were they and why did they want to kill each other? I don't know. This can explain some of the caution about jumping in this way, the feeling that things won't be clear enough and people won't understand what's going on. Part of this can be dealt with by having a robust sense in your own mind of what took place prior to this opening moment. This will inform how you handle the characters and what's important enough to warrant expression. It's then a matter of finding ways to hint at and communicate that sense of backstory, rather than needing to show it. Having the freedom of believing things can be evident and implied without being expressed can give a script more time and space for the story itself, and thus automatically create pace, as time isn't required elsewhere. Consideration also has to be put into how and when the script shifts back to a more regular pace, since things can't really stay high-octane forever, unless there's a set of defibrillators at hand to deal with all the heart palpitations. Here, though, the risk is that, in an effort to skip slow establishment, 
you throw in some opening action, and then, once it's over, go back to some slow establishment. So again, that exciting intro basically feels like three pages of sleight of hand, creating the illusion of strong eventful pacing. And this is also a worry with a prevalent opening technique, which can offer these elements of action, intrigue and backstory through a shift in time. Thinking about opening flashbacks and, indeed, flash-forwards. A similar approach of creating an exciting opening which doesn't feel like the story's kicked off at too high a gear to maintain is to begin with an almost independent flashback or flash-forward. And just in case you're not familiar, though I'm sure you are, while a flashback shows a moment from the past, a flash-forward is a moment from the future. Now this method does seem to be incredibly popular right now, and it's not a hack trick. The first episode of Breaking Bad starts with a flash-forward, and I'm really not about to slag that off. It allows for some initial excitement, and can show moments which might come much later in the natural chronology of the script, or not be seen at all if it essentially happened before the story began. The risk for writers, though, is following a trend rather than being unique, and not fully grasping why they're employing this technique or how to use it effectively. If you'll excuse me nerding out for a bit, there's something interesting about these opening time-bending teasers related to your friend and mine, the godfather of non-linear storytelling, Bertolt Brecht. Let me just dust off my A-level drama notes for a moment. Oof! Prior to Brecht, the prevalent form of theatre was very linear, Start at the beginning, end at the end. Simple. Brecht didn't care for that too much, as he felt the audience were only concerned about what would happen rather than considering why. His solution to this was to sometimes begin plays by showing the ending, so the focus wasn't on what might happen, but how it came to pass. Strangely, a lot of opening flash-forwards these days are actually doing the opposite of that, more dangling a sparkly carrot of intrigue or setting up a clever fake-out. There are exceptions, you know. One might show a character's future self, destitute and on the brink, then return to their present form, where they're quite the opposite, and the question then becomes, how did they end up where they end up? There's also an argument that, as a showcase, if there's a prime, defining moment which would naturally occur later in the script, Starting with it allows the writer to show the identity of the project front and centre, which can be a very smart thing to do, as in that firefighter example. If you recognise such decisions are simply done to pique the audience's interest, at least the intention is clear. So it's entirely valid to use these approaches, but again, there are things to take into consideration. Since these flashes in time are essentially teasers, it's worth making sure they're not too lengthy in their teasing. Even if it's eventful, it can risk basically slowing the overall pace by preventing the true story from beginning for five or more pages. Obviously, that's less of a concern with a feature film, but can be a major worry with a 30-page script. And bear in mind, if someone is reading, say, the first ten pages of your project, and halfway through that they realise everything they just read isn't actually the main story, it might challenge their comprehension in a less-than-ideal way. This is particularly noticeable if it isn't evident how the tease relates to what follows. If it contains none of the main characters or places, it can just be an abstract moment. If the story then leaps up, 
hundred years forward, it's safe to assume none of the characters would still be alive. So how would its connection to the present be communicated? Is there, say, an object or a place which links the two together? The opening of Game of Thrones starts with a doomed expedition beyond the wall, but then moves into Ned Stark beheading one of the men who escaped the carnage for being a deserter. Thus, we immediately feel how the two seemingly separate events are connected. Without that, it might all look cool, but feel a bit too detached. As usual, it's worth thinking why this moment is significant. What does it show us, other than a bit of snazzy action? If it's a flash-forward, when will the script catch up with that moment? If it's a flashback, why was that moment pivotal, and how can its ramifications be strongly pursued through the rest of the script? Practically speaking, if it's a flashback to a character's youth, the script can simply state that we are then following the adult version of that character, since they have the same name and all that. But how would the audience comfortably perceive that? And again, there's a concern if this exciting introduction ends, then slips back into the present and just becomes a standard, slow, uneventful batch of establishment. Then the interesting tease reveals itself for what it is, tantamount to false advertising, especially if it seems as though we'll never see those intriguing opening characters again. It may seem like we're talking a lot more about the coming in late than the leaving early here, and there's a good reason for that. The fact is, there is often a problem of scripts which feel top-heavy, that is to say, much more time is spent in the beginning section than the middle and the end. And it's understandable in a way, because setting things up and introducing characters is a lot of fun. And it's kind of easy, too. Progressing and concluding a story is a lot harder, and requires more thought and planning. Scripts from new writers can consequently have the problem of simply running out of time and having to rush an ending because they're two pages from or already four pages over their intended page count. Even with scripts which have been made, you may have experienced those times when, watching or listening to something, you know it's almost at the end of its runtime, but a conclusion seems far away and you wonder, how are they going to wrap this up in the next ten minutes? And the answer is often, they don't. The script ends up leaving early to the extent that it feels like it really should have stuck around and properly finished what it was trying to do. So evaluating the pacing in terms of the composition of the script can be really important, particularly with the opening. Think about how long it takes before the main story really begins. A rule of thumb I was often told when working with 30-minute scripts is to try to get things rolling by at least page 3 or 4. That's kind of a tenth of a script. If the first quarter is all setting up, that's kind of a concern. If over a third, a half or more, that's a real worry. Hopefully we'll look at this more in depth when I tackle an episode on structure, though I can't say it's that topic I'm most excited about. The instinct to inject pace and incident is generally smart if you want to engage your audience, and really that should follow through into the rest of the script. Otherwise, the writing is whetting the appetite for a meal which isn't actually coming until the third act or the final pages. Equally, people might be not willing to wait for that final moment of excitement if it feels like it might take too long to get there, or nothing else engaging will happen along the way. And what solves that problem? Pacing! Alongside good writing. 
But how do we make these pacing choices? Well, here's an idea. Let's do some scientific role-play by looking at pacing choices in... A hypothetical exercise. Just call me Professor Robin Taylor. Only don't do that because I don't have that qualification and I learned my lesson that time I pretended to be a bishop to get a discount at River Island. But let's imagine that we want to write a section of a script where a character who we'll call Carruthers goes to a job interview. Where would we begin? It could open with an alarm clock blaring as Carruthers wakes up in bed. But of course this is a very familiar approach. It's understandable because it suggests the audience are starting the day with the character. But it's been done so many times, unless there's a fresh take, and even then it might have to be really fresh, the immediate impression might be that this is not the most original creation humankind has ever witnessed. In any case, a question would be, why do we need to see this? And there could be reasons. Maybe Carruthers overslept, so it denotes irresponsibility. Maybe it's a chance to show where they live, or to interact with someone they live with. Perhaps something occurs that demonstrates their state of mind or desires. But it's good to challenge oneself and ask, is that necessary right now, or in this manner? And if it's not doing any of those things, is it necessary at all? Is it just going through the motions of normal human existence and replicating real life, but not doing anything dramatically vital? If that's the case... Isn't it just slowing things down? We can argue, that's what happens. That's real life. But plenty of things happen in real life which we don't show in scripts. People waiting for kettles to boil or sitting on the loo. We don't need to see those to evoke reality because they're not necessarily interesting or important. So maybe we show Carruthers getting ready or on the way to the interview but an audience can see a character in a situation without wondering, how did they get there? How did they get dressed? If Carruthers has a characterful moment during the journey, such as helping a little old lady to show kindness, or pushing the old lady out of the way into a ditch to show bloody-mindedness, there could be a justification. But there's also a risk of incident for incident's sake. Carruthers gets splashed by a passing bus. Oh no! Why me? The drama of it all. But does it matter? Does it pay off as their soggy appearance costs them the job? Or is it just something that can happen, which is taking time away from more relevant events? Perhaps Carruthers arrives at the exterior of the building and looks up at the intimidating skyscraper, feeling insignificant in comparison. Sure, but that's another scene, another location, another delay. If it speaks to something really significant in the script, encapsulating an idea of a small cog in a big machine, for example, then maybe it's an important thing to do. If it's just a shot which doesn't actually have much relevance, can it be cut? People may ask creative questions of why is this moment important? Or practical ones of why do we need to go to this place or build this set or source these sound effects? And if there isn't a good answer, that can be very telling. As we get closer to the actual meat, or tofu, of this job interview, there are still possible additions or delays. Is Carruthers waiting to be called in, sizing up the competition, meeting a surly receptionist? 
If that receptionist is going to be important as the script progresses and a bad first encounter matters, that's justification. If we never see them again, not so much. Even as we get into the interview, is it all, hello, take a seat, or is the interview already underway? Is it at the beginning, midpoint, or nearing the end? How much of the interview do we need or want to see? Not the whole bloody thing, hopefully, but enough to make the relevant points, or allow progression from good to bad, or vice versa. And this is maybe the most important thing to note. Here, in the core moment, it's possible to convey all of the relevant things which might have happened in those earlier hypothetical moments, such as the journey to the interview. The status of Carruthers, a defining characterful moment, the nature of the environment they're in, and their mental response. In fact, if the interview isn't hinting at these things, we might wonder what the point was in setting them up earlier. Because they either don't matter, or they aren't truthful. Again, it may seem like setup without payoff. And since the interview is essentially the key scene, it should theoretically be able to express what matters within itself without needing other scenes to fill in too many gaps. But to counter that point, there may be things which do matter, which can't be expressed in that instance, or do need to be planted elsewhere. Maybe Carruthers is a nice granny helper, who the audience are rooting for, but their generously helping the old lady cross the road made them late, jeopardising their chances, which the audience know is unfair. Or Carruthers simply can't demonstrate their benevolence in a formal setting, so they don't get the job and the audience feels sympathy for them. Or the granny is actually the CEO of the company and helping her got Carruthers the job. Hooray, Carruthers! A cutting-to-the-core approach might be to begin with the very end of the interview and imply whether it went well or not and show Carruthers' hopes or behaviours there. And the extra-strict approach would be to commence with a scene where Carruthers receives the job offer or rejection many weeks later. But then that could be too severe. We've cut out potentially fun or interesting stuff and just ended up reporting it. If you want that pace while seeing quick snippets which negates the need to set everything up, then you could inject flashbacks or cutaways. Hey, I thought you just said flashbacks were bad. Well, I'm a hypocrite, all right. No, actually, they can be good in certain circumstances, if used wisely and with strong reasoning. A lot of these job interview sequence decisions come down to looking at how the incident fits into the grand scheme of the script. If Carruthers gets the job and the action will now predominantly take place in this setting, then there's a good reason to spend time adding depth to the world there. If they don't, and it's just a moment to show Carruthers' frustration at not being able to get a job, then the audience probably only need to see the bare minimum of this event. What it hopefully suggests is that there are always options, and with these should come assessments, be that, do I need to include this, or do I do without it, to help keep the pace, or am I being too quick here and missing out on something significant or beneficial? And a lot of these questions, a lot of these issues of pacing, are connected to the principle of purpose. Thinking about purpose. Pacing is inherently tied up with purpose. And as the Carruthers affair indicated, the decision to keep or cut a scene or moment can be decided by what it contributes. 
Scenes which don't have a purpose can naturally be slow because they're ambling around without a real aim. But this also has an effect in the context of the story. If there are scenes which aren't contributing to the overall plot, they can feel as if they're grinding events to a halt or getting unnecessarily distracted. It's a bit like when your aunt tells you about the woman down the road whose son was in a car crash down by the library, which closed due to cutbacks, but then it turned out the council had been embezzling money to fund their ornate topiary, and your brain begins to melt out of your ears as you internally scream, Get to the point! A truly focused story can be a thing of beauty, because every instance feels vital and necessary. With self-contained stories like plays, features and singular episodes comes an increased need to tell the story within the boundaries of the script, and each brings pacing pressures based on their durations and natures. The simple risk is that if the pacing is wrong, the story may feel aimless, unbalanced or might not be able to be fully told. Another concern is that the scene can have an intended purpose, but it's repetitive rather than unique. So, for example, maybe there's a scene where Carruthers has fallen on hard times and she didn't get that job, and they've started drinking heavily. They drunkenly go to a bar, they cause trouble, and they get kicked out. They go to a different bar, cause trouble, and get kicked out. They go to a third bar, well, you get the point. The scenes might be showing us that Carruthers has drinking and anger issues, but it's just repeating the same point in different settings. This really hampers the pacing because things are going in circles rather than moving forwards. Even if, instead of the second bar, Carruthers goes to an off-license or causes a ruckus on the streets, it may only be cosmetically different but still doing the same thing as the events at the first bar. The scenes even need really distinct variations such as he gets arrested or hurt or developments which show different aspects of Carruthers' problems, such as remorse or desperation. Otherwise, it may be that once is simply enough. If a script is moving along at a brisk pace, then it builds momentum, which is exciting and draws the audience in. But just like in physics, momentum can be stalled. It says so right here in my GCSE revision notes next to my A-level drama notes. So if the audience is keen to see what happens next and are then taken away to somewhere apparently unrelated or less dynamic for a sustained period of time, or the brakes are simply put on so the characters can do something else, it may be frustrating. You're kind of hyping them up, then saying, but anyway, don't worry about that for a while. And the other thing may have purpose behind it, but it runs the risk of delaying. Of course, this may be horses for courses, and your story may not be a thrilling, rolling boulder of a plot. And indeed, this principle of purpose doesn't mean that every word of the script must be a sacrifice to the almighty god of plotting, known by many as Plotticus. Sometimes the purpose of a scene can be purely to entertain or amuse, to provoke thought or explore a character in a way which isn't necessarily progressing the story, but is complementing it. So there is a purpose... It's just not influenced by the pacing. Of course, it's then a matter of making sure the moment is doing the thing it's supposed to and isn't just an indulgence. It's also wise to keep an eye on how long such diversions might veer away from the core story without losing the overall thrust and pace of the concept. Generally, the content of a script should be fighting for its position, making editorial choices agonising. 
making the writer opine, I can't cut that because I need it, requiring tough decisions or finding clever ways to shorten somewhat flabby scenes, so that there's room for other vital moments elsewhere. If a writer ever feels that they need to include filler scenes just to get up to a standard page count or duration, that's a big red flag that the story or concept isn't necessarily as robust or has as much potential as it needs to in order to maintain a complete plot. In such a case, the idea should probably be reconsidered or explored further before writing to find more depth within it. It may also be a case of using a different medium, which allows for a shorter, simpler story, and the same can be true for scripts which are struggling to cram everything in. Maybe it doesn't need to be edited down. Maybe you just need more space from a longer form. Or, if it's episodic, perhaps break up the story so it doesn't all have to be shoved in at once, thus feeling frantic. And these kind of decisions tie into the nature of the pacing you're aiming for. Thinking about slow burn and fast paced approaches. As I mentioned at the beginning, scripts these days can often feel faster. But as with most things, this may lead to extreme interpretations. It can manifest in really quick cuts. Scene, scene, scene. But what are these scenes doing? If they're that short, do they even have the time and possibility to do anything? This can lead to the illusion of pacing. Sure, it's all very fast, but if they're not adding anything to the plot, it's just rapid delaying. Again, it's a matter of knowing the purpose of the scene, so it contributes more than time spent. But also, there may be a need to resist the inclination to cut around too quickly, allowing a scene to breathe. If the audience are taken away from a moment before it can fully develop, they may feel they've missed out on something which has only been alluded to rather than occurred for them to witness. Sometimes it can be tempting to cut away simply because what needs to be shown if the scene continues will be difficult to write, whether from a technical or, say, emotional standpoint. For example, it can be popular to show a character receiving shocking news. They gasp drop their cup of tea and smashes on the floor. It suggests shock, but then we cut away and don't see the more complex emotional response that might happen. Is that efficient or simplistic? In these cases, during an early draft, it could be advisable to stick it out, to challenge yourself and see how the scene might play out if allowed to extend. It might show the true purpose of the scene, allowing you to then cut what doesn't matter or... If it doesn't work, it can be cut altogether. Because editing is a major tool when it comes to pacing, and indeed, look out for thinking about editing, which will be in existence at some point. This idea of allowing moments to breathe can be associated with a slower pace, what may be described as gentle pacing or a slow burn. A gentle pace may be something which is easy to watch, not too challenging or action-driven, but still with a plot, even if it is low-key. A slow burn may be more intense, drawing the audience in. These kind of shows aren't for everyone, especially with the conditioning we've had towards fast pacing. The typical criticism might be, nothing happens. But in good examples of this approach, the emphasis isn't on the slow so much as the burn. Things are happening, Events are burning and heating up, 
and hopefully building towards blazing hot conclusions. The recent show Midnight Mass is a good example of this, receiving a lot of flack for its gradual build-up and long speeches. But this gradual approach allowed us to witness the characters, learn about their relationships, their presents and pasts, and events certainly become very dramatic as the series progresses. The audience is thus more involved, and events matter more, because we were given time to engage with the characters, rather than quick, simple representations of them. Meanwhile, the speeches allowed the exploration of philosophical and social ideas, which some might find interesting, some might not. Once again, there was a purpose in what was shown, so even if at times it took longer, there was a reasoning behind it. It can build anticipation and engagement in a different matter to pacey plotting, but that doesn't justify wasting time, and as usual, it's good to analyse the writing and asking, is this a little too slow, or not quite burning enough to grab a hold of the audience and make them want to stick around for the whole journey? But wait, what's that ticking sound? It's me, ironically making this episode about pacing longer than usual. So we'd better crack on by... Thinking about ticking clock. One well-known method of assisting pacing is the concept of a ticking clock, essentially a deadline which looms over the action. We've got a month to raise the money to save the aardvark century. We've got 16 hours to save the Prime Minister's brain. We've got 30 minutes until the roast turkey's juices run clear. You know, those kind of popular, relatable and exciting time pressures. A classic example could be Cinderella having until midnight before all her stuff turns back to a pumpkin and she misses the cutoff to return her ASOS ball gown. This can be an effective tool because it focuses the attention of the characters, but also the audience too. It suggests a direction for the story, generating a requirement which can drive the action forward and creating tension and necessity. Just like in real life where we tend to put things off and get distracted until there's some sense of urgency, characters might find themselves lacking direction if they don't have a powerful objective. If the story is ambling or bumbling along too much, putting a clock on things may focus the writer's mind and help them shape the narrative in a way that a pressure-free environment for the characters doesn't. But with any technique such as this, there are a few things to be aware of. First of all, it is a familiar approach, and an audience or reader may see it as such. If there's an early scene where it's declared, you've got 24 hours, the audience may think, oh, okay, this old chestnut. So as ever, if there are ways to be original and play with expectations, this can be useful, or simply making sure you're really taking them along for the ride. And indeed, a bigger concern is if it's all too evident that the time pressures are there as a way to provide tension or focus because it's simply lacking elsewhere. This is especially the case if the deadline feels particularly unconvincing or arbitrary. If we're told a character has, say, two days to do something and we can ask, why? Why couldn't they have longer? Then it can feel like a false pressure and damages audience immersion. This may be tackled with a solid sense of reasoning and consequences, so it's more than a sense of the writing thinking, this needs to seem more exciting. The focus that a ticking clock brings can also run the risk of feeling restrictive. 
If it is a major threat, it can dominate the plot as the tension needs to be maintained, and any time or scenes which are spent too far from this threat can dampen the urgency and therefore the pace. Of course, this can depend on the gravity of the deadline and the amount of time remaining. If there's an hour till the spaceship runs out of oxygen, now's not the time for a funny little chat over coffee. But it's interesting to then think of how the progression of time can influence the evolution of events. If there's a month to fix a problem, early on there could be more distractions and light-hearted attempts at solutions. But when the clock begins to tick down, things would naturally shift. Distractions have to be avoided, actions become more desperate. It's also interesting to think that the ringing of the bell when times run out isn't necessarily an end point, or that it has to end in victory. What might happen after failure or success? How might those events change dynamics and priorities? How would the characters shift to seek new targets? In fact, we can strip back the idea of the ticking clock and see that it basically gives an understandable form to some fundamentals of storytelling, principles which can be applied independent of the device itself. Having a solid sense of direction and giving the characters clear purposes and desires helps to keep the story on track and pick out the moments and events which contribute to that overall journey. And there are still clocks of a sort ticking away. The character needs to do this thing before they lose the people they care for, or while they still can. Before they die, even. Essentially, before they run out of time. A ticking clock may be useful as a tool while writing an early draft, just to keep an eye on the prize and make sure the plot doesn't veer around too much. But if, as rewrites progress, the script is keeping momentum on its own, and that clock feels superfluous, it can simply be lifted out because it is possible to evoke that feeling of necessity and urgency without needing to slap a literal 24-hour countdown on top of things. So here's the conclusion-y bit where I ask whether pacing matters. And I'll keep it brief. Tee-hee! Yes, pacing does matter. If it's not handled properly, then a script might feel too slow and uneventful, or too frantic or directionless. Editing and script development can be used to fix these issues, though, by trimming down or expanding as necessary. Like many a writing technique, pacing speaks to something else. On this occasion, it's about knowing why each moment is included, how long it needs to take to achieve its goal, and being disciplined about keeping the story on track. Basically, it's a reason to keep thinking. Thinking... About writing. A badly paced repetition of the podcast name there. That means we're at the end of the episode. And just in time, too. I've got a pineapple upside down cake in the oven. Well, there we go. I hope this episode was well paced. Maybe you're one of those people who listens to podcasts at 1.5 speed anyway. Does that mean I sound like Woody Woodpecker? (laughs) Oh, I'm referencing Woody Woodpecker. I'm so old. Anyway, thanks for listening. Maybe if you've got the time, uh, you can like or subscribe to this podcast, or even write a review which is fast-paced or slow and detailed as you see fit. You could even take a moment to get in touch on Twitter at writing underscore pod to ask a timely question 
or simply request that I stop making laboured time puns. Hopefully you can join us next time for another episode of Ponderance Regarding Synonym Writing. And in the meantime, maybe you can go and do some writing sometime in the next couple of days. You could put a really swift scene together. And then you've done something. Productivity. Ooh, lovely. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Thinking About Writing is edited by Peter Thompson, music by Chris Stamper, illustration by Matt Mars, and designed by Adam Smith. Thinking About Writing.